0: welcome to the provo pick and roll podcast joining me today is the dad joke telling my bad announcing clean shaven new ready for the new year jordan Cress, how's it going jordan it's going
1: good you know new year new me so yeah, I was sporting the beard for a while, but it was time—it's time for it to go. But yeah, happy new year, everyone! Glad to welcome in twenty twenty-four. So
0: yeah. Yeah, to uh, keep everyone updated, because I'm sure all of you are waiting with bated breath to see how our fantasy uh, NBA league is going. With uh, me and Jordan, and also our friend Morgan, who's made. I think just a single singular appearance on our podcast years ago. Um, maybe we'll bring him back one of these days, but he's busy. Uh, Jordan and Morgan stink; they're really bad at this whole fantasy thing. But uh, I'm in first place, which is er- ironic considering I probably care the least about the NBA of all the participants. I would assume, although yeah. we, I don't, I don't know all of them, but probably I care the least of them. So,
1: that's crazy have you been setting your lineup like every day or have you been getting by with whatever
0: i usually do set my lineup every day but that's just because i um like i usually go to the bathroom at some point during work Mm -hmm. and then it takes like two seconds to set your lineup because it's not there's not a lot of strategy like in fantasy Mm -hmm. football you have to think about like who the matchups are going to be, are they going to run the ball, are they going to pass the ball against uh, who's playing the better defense this week, is the quarterback mm-hmm. injured, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I feel like with fantasy basketball, it's just is your guy playing or not? And if he's playing, you yeah. should probably start him. And if he's not playing, then you should probably bench him. him. And if you have yep. a guy who's injured, you should probably replace him with a different guy. And that's that's about it. Yep. So.
1: Yeah, see, I think, I mean, a big reason why I haven't been doing very well is I don't even do that. So <laughs> I've been trying – it's so funny because, I mean, I'll I'll have those downtimes too, but I'll always check my fantasy football as opposed to the fantasy basketball. Like, I'll double – I'll triple check my fantasy football before I go to my fantasy basketball, even though the basketball is the one that would need more maintenance. You know, since that's like an everyday thing, I just didn't just – less interested in it you know what i mean
0: so is, it, I is say, it because you're like three and eight is that why you're less interested in it or
1: i mean that's part of it three and seven by the way
0: oh well soon to be soon, to be, soon
1: to be three and eight. wait let yeah. me see how am i doing this week yeah i'm gonna lose this week too <laughs> because yeah i'm also playing quite a few players that are injured so
0: yeah
1: that doesn't yeah. help you yeah. know. So, but yeah, well, I I hope you feel good about that. You know, that's giving you a sense of uh, accomplishment.
0: I, yeah. Uh, well, did we ever? Because when I first joined this league, I was I was told that there was going to be a pot of money, but that was yeah, never maybe confirmed. Maybe you should follow up Android on that again. Again. <laughs> yeah. It was never confirmed and/or denied, but it was a, a small enough dollar amount that I went ahead and did it and I said, Fine, if it's I'll, I because I'm sure I was going to lose because I didn't know anything about the NBA. Um, but it was small enough, it was like ten dollars or something, is what was thrown around. So now I'm a little more interested in that.
1: I think we're good. This is just for fun, yeah, just for the fun of it.
0: The fun of it, we're yeah, I need to
1: get, get this money involved, but yeah. Nice. Well, starting the new year means a few things. I mean, number one, you can make some new New Year's resolutions and think about how bad we did on our last year's resolutions, except for Brady. He just does super awesome on all his New Year's resolutions, I'm sure. But the other thing is it's also kind of the culmination of the college football season with both the semifinals and the championship game being played. So we definitely want to spend some time Talking about that, uh, the semifinal games took place on New Year's Day. Great way to bring in the new year. And then we have the championship game happening between uh, Michigan and Washington tomorrow. So to jump right into it. What were your thoughts on uh, the semifinal matchups? We had Michigan uh, coming on top versus Alabama at 27 to 20 in overtime. Uh, quite a fun game. And then Washington pull it out against Texas 37 to 31.
0: Well, I guess we can take it chronologically. We'll look at the Alabama Michigan game first. Both just to start off, both were great from a viewer perspective. They were excellent. Came down to came down to the last play of the game in both instances. Um had exciting moments, some exciting turnovers, uh exciting offensive plays and different Points in the game. It was was really fun. Uh, Really fun day for college football. One of the best college playoff um, days since its inception in terms of having a good game in both the one versus the four and the two versus the three. Usually one of those, usually the one versus four, historically has been a big blowout. Um, But that was not the case today. All four teams showed that they were good and that. In my opinion, they all belonged in the in the playoff. They performed uh reasonably well to some degree. Alabama Michigan game. Alabama's offensive line got exposed again. They got exposed versus Texas early in the early in the season. Um, but Michigan had, I think, five sacks in the first half. Milro didn't have any time. Um their their Alabama's offensive line is a good run blocking offensive line, and they were able to control the line of scrimmage in that aspect, but they were horrible in the past game. Didn't give Milrow any time, and he doesn't process the game very quickly anyways. He's not great at escaping pressure, which is weird because he's so athletic. But he kind of will walk into sacks, too. He's just not very comfortable in that position. I'm curious to see how he'll improve for next year. But clear advantage there for Michigan throughout the game. Um. And, but that said, Alabama had the lead going into the fourth quarter, and it looked like they were – Running control, um, Alabama's defense had bottled up Michigan for m- m- Michigan's offense for most of the game, um, but uh, Michigan was able to make. And their Michigan special teams were awful. They were trying; they were just giving the Alabama opportunities with with muffed punts and 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 uh, I think they missed a missed a field goal at some point. They were not not very good in this game.
1: And, and a pat,
0: and a pat, that's right.
1: Which, yeah, which, looking yeah. back, that's like bigger than you would think. Because you know, with that pat being converted, they wouldn't have even gone into overtime, right? They would have had enough to pull out the win in regulation. So,
0: you have the first play of the game, which kind of set the tone of uh, uh, Caleb Downs, who is that guy's great. That safety is a true freshman for Alabama, he is. He's going to be a first-team All-American next year. He's great. Uh, but he had that almost interception, just had his toes out of bounds in the very first play of the game, uh, and Michigan got lucky. That you know, could have been a tone setter for the game. Because uh, if if Alabama was able to get up enough early, they could have just leaned even more on their run game, and maybe there wouldn't have been time for Michigan to make their rally in the second half. But, mm-hmm. but uh, they were fortunate and, and got away with that. Um, a uh, bad decision by McCarthy in the first quarter, and, and it comes down to the to the to the fourth, and there's that um, awesome play by Wilson. JJ McCarthy throws the ball to Wilson. That ball actually gets tipped slightly. You can see it get tipped just on the fingertips of the the defensive lineman, and it like uh, rises in the air, probably like three inches. Uh, but Wilson still comes down with it, and they end up scoring on that drive to send it overtime. What were your thoughts on the game? I thought it was exciting. It was fun to watch for for me. Um, certainly, controversy with the very last play play call in uh, overtime from from Nick Saban, but from that play and others, what were kind of your impressions watching the game, Gordon?
1: Yeah, overall it was really fun. It was. Um, I was watching the game with my dad, who's been a Michigan fan all throughout his life, so he was really on you know on the edge of his seat for that game. Is, yeah Michigan like just made so many mistakes particularly at the beginning of the game you pointed out he um passed that in the very first play that was almost called back for an interception they also had two muffed punts in the game one of them being in the first quarter which led to Alabama's first touchdown and the second being very costly at the end of the game where you know they had it probably with about 50 seconds left they could have given JJ McCarthy a chance to march the ball down the field and win the win the game in regulation but He tries to call for a fair catch on, like, the five-yard line, must the punt, and recovers it on the one, you know, almost gets called for, uh, you know, a safety in the end zone. And luckily, you know, he was very fortunate because Michigan was able to give them just a little bit of room so they didn't get the safety, which would have ended the game right there. But, I mean, yeah, number one, that was just a dumb play. Yeah. Yeah, Michigan's special teams were, were atrocious, Um, which, you know, at the end of the day, that can be the difference between winning and losing. Uh, And also adding on to that, that, that last play, or that last special teams play where he muffed the punt, Michigan was so disorganized. They only had, I think, 10 players on the field, like when they were about to snap the ball. So I'm I'm just like in that type of setting, you know, you're in the last minute of the semifinal game for the college football playoff. Like, how are you guys not more organized than that? But, in the end, they still came out with the W, so it didn't really matter too much. But, um, but yeah, overall, it was still a really fun game. I mean, you pointed out most of the things that I wanted to talk about, you know, the the missed PAT, the fact that Michigan had five sacks in the first half. And I think the physicality of Michigan's defense really just disrupted what Jalen Millereau's good at doing. He still got loose for quite a few scrambles and hurt them on the ground. But there was a few times where, in particular to keep drives alive where he was scrambling and he slid short of the first down where typically he would, you know, lower his shoulder and try to pick up first down that way. Um, but I think it was just, you know, the the physicality and the quickness of the Michigan defense just kind of got in his head a little bit, which I think overall made a big difference in the game. But I mean, if you're an Alabama fan at the end of the day, you've got to recognize that there are just multiple opportunities that Uh, Alabama necessarily didn't didn't necessarily take advantage of Um, and uh, I think another key uh, momentum swing in the game was in the second half Uh, Alabama had a good drive I believe it was in the third quarter they were already up a score and they made it into Michigan territory and then had two uh, low snaps that were fumbled and recovered for negative losses in a row which just completely killed that drive right so that, and that's probably been a problem been all year. A, yeah, that center has just really struggled. Yeah, that's – If you're Alabama, if you're the premier football school in America, how do you not have a center that can hike the ball to your quarterback?
0: Yeah, I'm curious to see uh, his career going forward. He's already, Since that game, he's entered the transfer portal and committed to Ohio State. So he's probably going to be the starting – if he's not center a center, he's going to be a guard or something. He's going to be a center or a guard at Ohio State next year. Um, I I hope it's not the case, but Alabama fans aren't known for their uh, for good judgment in general. So I'm hoping there hasn't been a deluge of uh, poor commentary to to McLaughlin after that mm-hmm. game from from a drunk fan base <laughs> that maybe have led him to be like, I'm not coming back here for these people next year. I'm going to Ohio State. Maybe he would have lost a job next year. Maybe there's other reasons why he entered the transfer portal, but he entered the transfer portal yeah. and within like a, three days went to Ohio State. So someone mm-hmm. has been watching him and doesn't think he's a – Ohio State obviously doesn't think he's a terrible lineman, but he did have an issues snapping the ball. And and that's not a new thing. That's happened all year. So thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the very last play of the game? So Alabama fourth down, or was it? Yeah, fourth down. They they had to have fourth it down. fourth and goal. It's like fourth and three or something like that. And uh, they had to have it. If they don't get the they don't get in, it's over, and they just run a Quarterback draw with Jalen Milrow, and they get get stuffed like two yards short signing close. Um, Yeah. Issue issue with execution, issue with play call, both. What do you think?
1: I mean, both, but I do have a problem with the play call itself. Like, I think in that type of situation, yes, you want to put it in the hands of your best player. Which, so you want it in the hands of Jalen Milrow, but I think you want to give him more options. So I could see more of like a rollout, I don't know, I don't like the rollouts as well, because we've talked about how that really narrows the field, that limits your options, yeah. stuff like that. But even just like a, a speed option or something like that. But I guess that's hard too, because if you don't run the speed option a lot, that's maybe not something that you want to throw in um, in overtime, uh, so, something like that. But at least give him maybe that run pass option. So like look for a second to see if he's got a pass open, and then if not, take off and run because, um, yeah, that just didn't look good from the beginning. You just got stuffed. So that was my thoughts. What were your thoughts on the play
0: call? Uh, same thing. If I don't mind him running. I don't mind anticipate him running for three yards. He's a heck of an athlete. But mm-hmm. for that to be the only option is probably not the best decision. I remember specifically, if you remember Vince Young's uh, fourth and seven, touchdown to win the Rose Bowl. Maybe in the same end zone against USC in 2005. It's fourth down, had to have it. They don't get a first down or touch, basically a touchdown, then the game's over. Uh, in the, they had called. I think they had called a timeout, and they were. He was talking with his offensive coordinator, Vince was, and uh, and his offensive coordinator was like, "All right, Vince, what do you want?" <clears throat> and Vince says, "Quarterback draw," because he wants the ball and he wants to run because he's Vince Young, yeah. and he's like, "Okay, well, let's." You can run, but let's give you something else to give you some options. And so that's what they did. They ran a pass play in which Vince uh, looked at his first read, didn't see it, and then ran off to the right and he scored a touchdown. So that's what I would have done. I would have had a pass play and said, mm-hmm. uh, you can like you probably should run, look for a hole to run, but we're running a pass play because if someone's wide open or if or if you start to run and realize there's nothing there, you can, there's something else for you. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I agree. And I guess it's hard because, you know, that takes a very intelligent quarterback to run a play like that, like to recognize, all right, if this isn't working out, then I just need to take it off. I mean, not too crazy of a quarterback, but we've already touched on how earlier in the season this seemed to be an issue with Jalen Milrow. It's like, he's just very indecisive like either he'll just sit back in the pocket until he gets sacked or he'll just catch the ball from the snap and then just immediately take off running. You know, he doesn't have the good, uh, he wasn't showing as good of an ability to go through his progressions. And then if nothing's there, create something with his legs. Uh, He has grown with that a lot throughout the season. So I think that you'd still be able to trust with him with that kind of a decision in that situation, but maybe that's what they were concerned about is just, throwing too many variables for him at the end of the game might lead to uh, a mistake. But, but yeah, I was kind of joking with my dad. I was like, I don't think he's going to get this. It's not a fourth and 39 or whatever.
0: <laughs> it's too <laughs> close. That
1: Like they, like they had it in the, uh, in the iron bowl against Auburn. So <laughs> yeah. But yeah, a, I think.
0: is a friendly reminder. Thing... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: I was just going to say one last thing I wanted to mention on with this game is I just wanted to give credit to Jim Harbaugh for the gutsy play call in the fourth quarter. And their last t- touchdown drive, they had a fourth and two where they were just barely across midfield, and they went for it and you know ended up picking picking up the first down after a short pass play. Uh, but, yeah, that was hard because the, the play right before that was an incompletion where – Alabama just got right in McCarthy's face, like gave him no time to throw. So and that ended up being the difference in the game.
0: So, yeah. And just, and just the uh, Another reminder, last reminder, I guess, for this football season is that this was probably the worst Alabama team in a decade, probably. And they still, Nick Saban willed them to get into a college football. I don't know how they beat Georgia, really. I think Georgia's... I still think probably Georgia's better than Alabama, but not that they deserve to be in the playoff, but it's, yeah. I think Alabama is a physical team. They have a very good defense, and their offense can be can be figured out, and it was. And Michigan got their 14th win of the season, which will which means that there will be 14 at least 14 wins that will be vacated in six months. By the NCAA but for now they can enjoy it and uh Rose Bowl is always fun it's the best game I agree with what Kirk Herbstreit, Kirk curbb Street said after the game in that the Rose Bowl should be the college football national championship game every year I think that's what I think that's a great idea it's the best venue for mm-hmm, college yeah there's just some just some places have a mystique about them uh and that's It's the granddaddy of them all, and it should be the championship game every year. I would I would support. Yeah, I don't think money supports that decision, which means it won't happen. But I support that decision.
1: Yeah, I mean, because I mean, part of me wants to conserve the the original tradition of the Rose Bowl of the big Big Ten champion playing the Pac-12 or Pac-10 champion. You know, but since that's already seeming like it's going away anyways, we might we gotta keep the road well, at least the venue alive and everything like that because that is a pretty awesome uh place to play. So yeah. Okay. Uh do you last last thing on this game, do you there was some talk about Nick Saban retiring after the season. Do you think that has any credit or do you think he's still going strong?
0: I haven't I haven't heard that. Did you where did you no. hear that from you?
1: Nah,
0: no, Stephen A. Smith. Oh, no, well, yeah. Stephen A. Smith. So don't don't take it with a green of salt, football. but yeah. yeah. that's yeah. He doesn't know anything about college football. He just likes to say things that are interesting.
1: Controversial? You
0: know yeah. Controversial, interesting, whatever. Um he knows some NBA things. Uh, but if it's not NBA, I don't really care what Stephen A. Smith has to say. Um yeah, he's not leaving this year I'd be, I'd be shocked if he retired this year. I don't know when he's going to retire. He's old. He's like the oldest except for Matt Brown, I think. He's like the oldest coach in college football. like Saban is, he's really old. He doesn't look it. He clearly he must be dyeing his hair for one thing cuz I don't see too many grays in his hair even though Yeah, he's, like he's 72. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I don't really see any reason for him to retire if he hasn't retired yet at 72 like why why would he, why retire? Would he he's, yeah he's obviously someone who isn't going to just sit around for the rest of his life and die i think he's if you've been coaching college football the way he has for years and years and years you're the kind of person who doesn't want to do nothing anyways and he is in a mm-hmm. position i think most people would agree he's already at the position of being the greatest college football coach of all time Mm-hmm. But near the end of his life, you're—I st- mean, I would assume I'm—we're both young, but you're kind of thinking about your legacy after you after you die, and his, if it's not already, will probably be the the title of the greatest college football coach of all time. And if he can add a couple more national championships to that resume, it will definitely be the case. So yeah, they just landed a top. To recruiting class the past several cycles I don't really see any reason for that he would retire but, yeah hopefully he does I hope he retires go, <laughs> <laughs> I know he's got a house on a lake somewhere he can go that'd be great now that Texas is entering the SEC that's fine he can go somewhere else that's probably not going to happen all well, right. speaking of Texas,
1: yeah. yeah, get over to the the other semifinal game, which, uh, sorry, Brady, I'm sure this is a bit tough to watch, because Texas was hanging around, they they kept giving you hope that they were going to pull out the win, but at the end, it just wasn't enough to top off the Huskies, so what were your thoughts on this game?
0: Well, I have a lot of thoughts, so before I take all of them, I wanted to get the outside, I like the outside perspective. Uh, first before I give my my details. So from your uh, unbiased perspective, Jordan, what were your impressions watching the game?
1: I mean, I was just amazed at the plays that Washington was making on offense. Like a lot of Michael Panks' throws down the field were like, you can't throw it better than that. And then having the the weapons that they have on the outside with Polk and a Dunes day. I was just like, yeah, you can't stop that. Like these are like, Texas didn't play bad defense there. Like that was just an amazing play. Um, But um, yeah. So that was the thing that stood out to me the most was like, wow, this guy's good. And then also number two, how did he not win the Heisman trophy? So yeah, those are kind of my main takeaways.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I think I had discussed this before that I did not like the matchup going into the game with Washington. I would have rather played Michigan or Alabama. And I still think that Texas is better than Michigan or Alabama. If they had, if they had beaten Washington, I would be pretty confident barring like injury or something that they would win the national championship game against either of those whoever had won that game, but they didn't. But the reasons that I was concerned is exactly why exactly what we saw is that Michael Penix is really good and his wide receivers are really good and his offensive line is really good. And those are specifically the things that are the kryptonite to the Texas defense. So the Texas pass passing secondary or secondary isn't that great. And to be fair, like you said, I didn't even think they were that bad. I thought several of the passes, like Ryan Watts is in. You can't really play too much better defense than than what he did. It, it, they could have done better at the line. So the, the wide receivers were getting some free releases off the ball, but I think that's mostly because they're good, really good. It's really hard to defend them, um, especially the way they, they spread the ball out and how quickly Penix gets the ball out of his hand. Uh, Texas only hit Penix twice, not, not sacks. They only hit him. He only got hit two times game although he got pressured 20 times so he passed the ball like 35 36 times pressured 20 but only hit two so he was knew exactly what to do with the ball And the few times that texas did get a free release on him they had byron murphy and and ethan burke had a couple opportunities where they got right by their guy and got right in his face and penix just stood in the pocket kept his eyes downfield, sidestepped him, stepped up in the pocket, and then threw a dart 25 yards downfield. And and it was, when I say a dart, it is right on the money. He was dynamite. You can't throw the ball better. And like I said just a minute ago, I didn't think the coverage was that bad. I thought it wasn't like people were, whining, were running butt naked open. They had guys there. If he had underthrown the ball by like two feet, it would have gotten knocked down but it was right in the breadbasket several over and over and over. And it, it felt like, especially getting into the fourth quarter, it was it, when we it got to the third quarter and Texas was down 10 with the ball. And they got to like fourth and four on their own, like 40 yard line. And I was at that point, they were about to punt. And I was like, they should probably go for it.
1: Cause yeah. they should,
0: they're not going to, they have to score every they're time they get the ball. Them. They're not yeah. going to stop Washington. Uh, so yeah, so, so first that's first things first credit to Washington on that day, they were the better team and Penix had the second best quarterback performance in the past, like passing the ball in the past decade. The first one is probably Joe Burrow when he lit up Oklahoma through for like 600 yards and had eight touchdowns or something like that. And that other, I think that was also a sugar bowl game years ago for LSU. But aside from that game, I haven't seen a better passing performance than what, um, Pinnick's put out there against Texas. Um, other aspects of the game, Washington came into the game 128, I believe in penalties for the season. They only ended up having like four penalties. So they played on top of being excellent. They also were clean. Um, they also got pressure on when uh, I believe uh Trice is the defensive end who got two sacks and a forced fumble and another tackle for loss. He was excellent. He was excellent last year when he played Texas. And he was excellent again. And, and he got by um, um Christian Jones and uh Kelvin Banks, two really good tackles who were gonna play for in the NFL for Texas. He he won that matchup. Um so Washington played their A game and Texas played. Probably a beat game. Quinn was okay. He got four or five passes, RPO passes, batted down at the line of scrimmage. That probably would have been completions, but uh, weren't. Texas had two fumbles that were really costly, so they lost the turn. They lost the turnover battle. They had ten penalties. Um. And and with Penix being that good, those are, and they had a couple. They had their. Um, opportunities in the red zone that they couldn't turn into touchdowns at the end of the game they had two red zone opportunities at the end of the game they ended up kicking the field goal in the first one because they were down 10 and then we'll talk about in a minute the the last possession where texas was able to get it down and it was a hard hard situation but a first and basically basically first and goal from like the 11 12 yard line the 15 seconds left in the red zone they couldn't they couldn't score a touchdown which they were like 100 there were the 120th team coming into the game to start to start the game in touchdown percentage in the red zone so that's been a problem all year is that they get in the red zone and they kick a lot of field goals because they can't or they turn the ball over because they can't punch it in and it's fitting that that's how the season ended um While I'm just listing out all my thoughts, one more is that Texas ran the ball for like, if you take away sacks from the running statistics, they ran the ball for like seven something yards per carry the whole game. And uh, Sarkeesian was way too slow in the first half to realizing that. I think he realized, I think his game plan going in was Washington is one of the worst passing defense on first down teams in the country. So he said, I'm going to pass the ball. But Washington was defending that, and even though Texas was running for like 10 yards of carry in the first half, he didn't stick to it. And so that hurt them early in the game. There were a lot of things. I can I can talk more about this, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop myself. I've already had my therapy session from the game, so I'm going to, going to be done there. Yeah.
1: I mean, no, yeah, not to beat a dead horse too much, but I had similar thoughts with that because overall, I think you would look at the lineups and say that Texas is really the more complete team with, like, more talent at all the positions, And but, like, at the skill positions at the wide receiver and quarterback level, then you'd give the edge to Washington. But, like, you know, looking at... But so many of those were neutralized in the game either through Washington's strategy or through Texas's lack of you know, using that that strategy. Because, I mean, if you look at the Texas defensive line, which is one of the big um, factors that they have to hang their hat on throughout the season and, like, limiting their rushing attempts, Washington just – I mean, they pretty much just played like they normally would because they don't really try to rush the ball too much. But they're like, yeah, these defensive linemen aren't really going to matter too much because we're going to get the ball out so quickly and also get the ball down the field to our um, threats in the passing game. That that doesn't really matter. So that advantage is kind of taken away somewhat. And then yeah, and then Texas kind of takes away their advantage of physicality with their offensive line and also their running backs um, by just opting to pass the ball a, a lot more. And if you're going to have, you know, Quinn Ewers is a great quarterback, but if you're having him trying to outcompete Michael Penix, having playing one of the best games of his life. That's not going to go well for you. So I I do agree with you. I think they probably should have shifted their strategy to being more of a run focused offense. You know, maybe even to the point where it's like reminiscent reminiscent of Michigan running like 30 straight running plays in a game, stuff stuff like that. Just mixing mm-hmm. in a bit of pass here and there, but definitely should have leaned on it more heavily than they did. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts as well, because I mean. Xavier Worthy and Adonai Mitchell were very quiet throughout all the game. Uh, like, what do you think caused that? Do you think that was just intentional um, on the side of Washington, just really making sure that they either double teamed one of those guys or just tried to limit the those deep shots that Quinn Ewers would usually take to one of those receivers? What, what do you think worked well for them there?
0: Um, a couple things. One with Xavier Worthy. Uh, if you remember, he had the ankle injury in the Oklahoma State, in the end of the Oklahoma State game, and reports were that he re-aggravated that injury in the week of practice before the game. So he was playing, but he was not hundred percent. And he had they had uh Washington doesn't have a great pass defense, really, but uh, they have one good cornerback, Muhammad, is a really good cornerback. And with a not one hundred percent Xavier Worthy, yeah, he just kind of got shut down and then I'd have to go back and watch exactly with A.D. Mitchell. He just didn't get a lot of targets. Um, Some of that for both those wide receivers could be in part to, I mentioned how the RPO game was not working for Texas, and that's because Texas kept taking the pass option of the RPO, which Washington anticipated, and they had their linebackers and defensive linemen having their hands up, and they batted down like five RPO passes that game. So if Quinn had run the ball in those plays they would have been more successful but but i to his to to be fair to quinn i think they were going to be open if they weren't batted down so i think there were several targets to those wide receivers um in those kind of plays but it was what washington prepared for and they defended them well whittington played well jatavion sanders played well for the passing game so they just what was successful was other areas it seemed like washington game planned to Focus on defending the pass and particularly focus on Xavier Worthy and A.D. Mitchell, and they did a good job of that. Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Have you had the chance to, to get everything off your chest? Is there anything else you want to vent about for this game or anything like that? Anything? Yeah. Along those lines?
0: Right. I just want to say that I, after all of that, even though Texas clearly played a B game and Washington clearly played an A-plus game, it came down to where Texas had the ball with 15 seconds left at the 12-yard line, and they could have somehow won that game. And I'm not that upset that they they didn't because it's a really tough situation to score like that. Like, you have 15 seconds left, no timeouts. You can't – Quinn can't get sacked, and the offensive line was getting beat by the – Washington defenders, mm-hmm. so they ended up, ended up not converting in that position, but it just shows that Texas was a, they're a really good team. Even if they didn't play well, they and, and even though Washington was great, they still could have somehow came away with that game. Um, there was a controversy, uh, not really controversy, just kind of an unfortunate situation with Washington that allowed that to even happen with their running back, who was on third down. Uh, Washington trying to run out the clock before they punt the ball got injured on third down and therefore they had an officials timeout and and they had they stopped the clock which which in, so, so instead of Texas having the ball at the 15 yard line with 15 seconds left Texas got the ball with a kick catch interference penalty which is just crazy that 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 would have happened but Texas had the ball with 45 seconds left at the 30. But that was a huge thing, and that was all based around the unfortunate instance of their running back getting hurt. And I don't know if he's going to play in the national championship game, but that was kind of interesting factor. Uh, just one more opportunity for Texas to disappoint me in the same game. There were a few chances, but they pulled one more, one more chance there.
1: Yeah, that was crazy because otherwise they would have really not had a shot. It probably would have gone down to ten to fifteen seconds which is not a lot of time to do anything. Just get a few Hail Mary passes in and maybe try to do a hook and ladder situation. Uh, but yeah, fortunately, I did just check. Dylan Johnson is cleared to play for the championship game tomorrow. The running back for the Washington Huskies. So that's, that's good to see. So it wasn't anything super serious. Um, so yeah. Did you would you have changed any of the play calls at the end of the game? I mean, obviously in that situation they all have to be quick passes and it has to make it to the end zone. But is there any other different schemes or motions that you would have liked to see to to get better looks towards the end zone or were you fine with the way it was
0: called? I think it's mostly I'm um, I was disappointed with the execution more than the play calling. It's hard to tell exactly with the play calling. Um mm-hmm. on the first a lot of people were complaining, including me in in at live when I was watching it. The first and 10 play was Quinn Ewers dropped back and then threw a dump off pass to Jaden Blue, who just ran out of bounds. So they just wasted five seconds and didn't get any, any yards. And if he had gotten tackled in bounds, they'd probably lose. So it's like that's a four and that was off a timeout. So I was like, really? That's your that's your out of a timeout play. Was yeah. a dump off of a running back when you have 12 yards to go and no timeouts? That's horrible. But apparently in the in the Sark said after the game that option number one was JT Sanders. So they were trying to go to JT Sanders, and he was double covered, and Quinn dumped it off to the running back, which I disagree with, even that. I I, I don't mind. I like the idea of going to JT Sanders, but Quinn, the second option, even though he can't get sacked, the second option should be Where's A.D. Mitchell? I'm going to throw it to him. If they're doubling, they, they're probably not doubling. They can't double Xavier Worthy, J.T. Sanders, and A.D. Mitchell on the same play. So they should all be in the end zone. And whichever one isn't double covered, you throw it to him. Because if you throw it in the end zone, they, it's probably not going to get intercepted. It could get caught, or even better, not better, well, better it's best as if it gets caught. But there also could be an opportunity for pass interference, which gets you the ball on the one-yard line. But the first three passes were dump off to the running back, you lose five seconds, and you get no game. Second pass was out of the end zone. Third pass was uh Kelvin Banks gets beat on the left side and Quinn is getting sacked and has to throw it away, which isn't really his fault. But really poor execution on the first three plays of the game. The first, because the, the very last play that goes to A.D. Mitchell that, washington defends well is a poorly thrown ball in my opinion because the washington defender is behind ad mitchell if quinn is able to throw more of a dart there like towards the front pylon that's probably open and a touchdown he threw the wrong pass he threw a jump ball when it didn't need to be a jump ball um, but if they had run that route on first or second down then Texas would have known how Washington was going to play it in the end zone and they could have went back to it on third or fourth down and Quinn would have known what kind of pass needed to be thrown for that route. So my issue isn't necessarily the play call because it's hard to score under those circumstances, even with their weapons. My issue is they had four plays and three of them didn't even have an opportunity to score a touchdown. That's my problem. But with all that said, I'm not. I'm sad because they were really close to winning the game. And if I said before, if they win that game, I feel good about them beating Michigan. But I also think that Washington was better and deserved to win, and that Texas was lucky to be in that situation to begin with in a, several ways. So I'm not that sad, and I'm happy that Texas had a good season. They they accomplished all the goals I had for them. I wanted them to win ten games and win the Big Twelve. And they did those things, and I'm happy about it. So, But now we have Washington and Michigan in the finals uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night. Uh, what are your thoughts after watching the playoff games, Jordan, who you got? Yeah, I think this will be really interesting because it will be the
1: dynamic offensive team and wa- the Washington Huskies versus the staunch defensive team in the Michigan Wolverines. So I'll be interested to see – what play style wins out there. Um, The Michigan secondary is pretty good. So, you know, I feel like they have definitely a better chance and probably going to be the best secondary that they've played all season. Um, So they probably have a better chance of stopping that, you know, passing attack of the Washington Huskies. But, you know, if Michael Penix has another game like he had last week, I don't know if there's much you can do to stop that, you know. So I think yeah. it'll come down to the quality of game that Michael Penix has, but I'm going to go ahead and say that he has another phenomenal game and then the Washington Huskies come out with the win uh, against the Wolverines.
0: All right. I. Um, it's the weird thing about this playoff system is that Washington is better than Texas, but Texas is better than Michigan and Alabama. But I think Michigan is better than Washington. And it's all matchups. So I think Texas ran yeah. Texas ran for, like I said, over seven yards a carry against Washington, based on Washington's alignment. Now I would assume Washington will be they won't have the same scheme for Washington, for Michigan as they did for Texas. I'm sure they will be more focused on stopping the run. But Michigan has a better offensive line than Texas. Um, I'm I'm concerned that Michigan is going to be able to ram the ball down Washington's throat all game and control the ball, keep the ball from Michael Penix for potentially long periods of time and disrupt that Washington timing. Michigan has a better pass defense than Texas does, probably. We'll see. They haven't exactly faced a lot of potent passing attacks, if, if any. They played Ohio State at home and their quarterbacks mm. not very good. They have excellent wide receivers. So they have seen the kind of wide receiver talent that Washington's gonna throw at them, but they have not seen a Michael Penix all year. So to your point, I wouldn't be surprised if Michigan wins this game. I think I'm I think I'm cheering for I am cheering for Washington to win this game because Michigan's about to if they win is gonna get vacated in six months because they're a bunch of cheaters. So yeah. I would like Michigan, I would like Washington to win the game, but the matchup does not suit. Washington uh so I think I'm picking Michigan
1: yeah I you know it's so hard it's really like I feel like in my mind I know that I should pick Michigan but at the same time I have such a hard time picking against Michael Penix right now you know he plays that uh, like as good as he played last week so it'll be fun we'll see hopefully it's more of a fun game if it's like kind of along the style of game that you thought that you think it might be where it's really kind of a slugfest where Michigan just kind of rams the ball at like five to seven yard increments at a time, eating up a bunch of clock and not really allowing for those explosive plays that happen on the Washington offensive side. I mean, well, I'm sure it'll still be a fun game, but that will not be as fun as if we can see Michael Penix slinging the ball all over the field with those, um, those athletes that he has on the outside. but
0: Well, it's possible we get both, right? It could just be yeah. an offensive game where Michigan runs for 260 yards and Phoenix throws for 370, and it's a weirdly high-scoring game, but just totally different styles. That's We'll see. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we'll have to see if it comes to a
1: fact of, you know, whoever's kicking field goals loses. Because you know, if one team can just punch it in the end zone every time, and the other team's getting hung up in the red zone a little bit more, then yeah, we'll have to see. We'll have to see if that happens. Because I would anticipate if someone's going to get hung up in the red zone a little bit more, might be Washington, because you know sometimes they rely a lot more on those explosive plays. They move the ball down the field, and so if they're not punching it in the end zone on those explosive plays. That might be a recipe for disaster for them, but
0: we'll see. I'm really excited for it. Should be good. Yeah, it should be. It should be a fun matchup. I'm excited for it as well. I, I, I don't remember if I, we said it on the podcast last, last time. I need to go back and listen to it again. But I thought Michael Penix should have won the Heisman this year, and uh, that you know, the, the LSU quarterback Daniels was propped up. He threw like eight touchdowns against like Georgia state or whoever they played in like their patsy sec yeah. game in the middle of the season he threw like eight touchdowns against that team and not to say that he's a bad player not to say that his stats aren't impressive and that he hasn't been a hasn't had a great year because he has but can you name me like a jalen daniels heisman moment he had a heisman moment my heisman moment mm-hmm. for him is losing to florida state so That was yeah. That means means it's not Heisman moment. Yeah. So, but
1: yeah, that makes me think that we should we should change it so that we're awarding the Heisman at the end of the season. You know, because number one, you know, there's that there's the superstition about the Heisman curse, right? Where there's so many Heisman uh, like uh, trophy winners. End up like not winning the national championship or stuff like that. So if we move it to after the season, we get rid of the Heisman curse. Yeah. That's the first and foremost, most important thing. And then second of all, then you get to take into account those big moments that happen in the playoffs or slash bowl games. You know, which I think is very important. So, to, to factor in as well. Because I think really the the thing that hurt Michael Penix was like you know he had they had a few bad games against like Arizona State. Um, where they squeaked out wins and then didn't really move the ball a lot on offense. Um, But when you look at it more holistically now, like it would be ridiculous if he didn't get the Heisman. So anyways, but that probably will never happen. So no sense, uh, no sense fretting about that, I guess.
0: (laughs) Maybe, we'll see. College football has a lot, so we'll see how it goes. It's true, but, maybe. And, uh, one last uh, college football thing, Jordan, I wanted to talk about, uh, unless you had anything else, I wanted to talk about BYU offseason stuff because they did not have a bowl game this year, unfortunately, with their 5-7 and seven record. I um, wanted to give you some updates. I don't know if you've been paying attention to any of this, but also our listeners, some updates on what has happened since the end of the season. Um, transfer portal. BYU has a lot of needs in the transfer portal. They could use, definitely could use quarterback. Um, Aiden Robbins has declared for the NFL draft, somewhat surprisingly. So he is not going to return next year, even though he had another year of eligibility. So they're probably going to need another running back. They they do return um, the uh, El El Paso prospect, uh, who had a freshman who had a good first year and then miles davis who um entered his name into the transfer portal before aiden robbins declared for the nfl draft withdrew it so they're going to return miles davis and maybe we'll actually see him play this year that would be something we've been calling for that for years now that we wish he would get on the field more so he might be running back too for this team but beyond miles davis there's not a whole lot there so there could they could use a third running back um, any defensive line or offensive line position is fair game. No one has a spot, in my opinion, except for maybe Connor Pay on offense or or Miley on offense, offensive line. They were okay, but everyone else, they could use an upgrade at linebacker and safety. Could also use upgrades. They could also use just more speed in general at whatever positions they could get. In addition to Aiden Robbins, they lost the Daly brothers, who were one of them. Anyways, was a relatively talented young. Defensive end, who didn't play very much this year, he transferred to Utah. But outside of that, they haven't really lost too much in in the transfer portal. But they have added a few guys that I like. The main one I like is Danny Sa'ili. He's a Juco transfer. He's like 6'3", 355-pound defensive tackle. That's exactly what they need. They need some big meat in the middle of the defensive line to um, compete at this higher level and add depth there to be able to just compete physically with these teams on the interior. So that's a really good pickup. He's a guy that uh, several other power five schools wanted. A lot of people thought he was going to go to Texas tech, but then at the end of the cycle, he flipped uh, to BYU and he has a couple of years of eligibility remaining. They also got a um, Weber state all conference linebacker, uh, Jack Kelly, who uh, had – I think he had eight sacks last year for Weber State. He's a really good player. He has – I believe he has a couple of years of eligibility remaining as well to replace uh, – to, to be in that linebacking core that's losing a few people, including Vong Pechong, uh, who's graduating. So that's really good pickup. they got another Weber State cornerback, Mark, uh, 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 Mark Collins, who's a decent player for them. And then uh, the other names of note for incoming transfers are both quarterbacks. The first one is Trayson, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this name. How would you pronounce, I'm going to give it a shot and then I'm going to, well, I'll let you do it first. Pronounce this name, Jordan. B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. Okay. okay, that's that's what I was gonna go with. That's that's pretty yeah. good, I think. Um, but he's the Western Michigan quarterback. He was a low three star coming out of high school and it got some time for Western Michigan. He has a couple years eligibility remaining. And then Gary Bohannon um, has transferred to BYU. He led Baylor in 2021, I think, to the Big 12 championship going 12 and two won the sugar bowl and then lost his job in the offseason to blake shapen and uh since then gary bohannon transferred to usf and then played against byu when byu smacked him in south florida uh last year with christopher brooks they won that game like 49 to three or something um but later in that season gary bohannon had an injury that Sat him out for the remaining five games of South Florida's schedule. And then he also missed this entire past season that just happened to the same injury. So it's been a while since he's actually played a game. Um, but what does Gary Bohannon do for you at the quarterback position, Jordan? Is that interesting? Is that exciting? Are you disappointed? Because he's, it's probably going to be what it looks like because this Western Michigan kid. I don't think he's – I'm not excited about him. He, I don't know why they really signed him, to be honest, because they have a lot of quarterbacks in the quarterback room. I would anticipate it's going to be Gary Bohannon or um, Or. Uh, – I'm blanking out. Or Jake Retzloff? Yeah, or Retzloff. Jake Retzloff Yeah. So what does Bohannon do for you?
1: Man, I, I honestly don't remember watching Bohannon play that much. Because it's been a while since. So, so you're saying this is from Baylor from a few years ago? Yes. I don't remember him from USF, really. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it intrigues me. So he's already committed then from the transfer
0: portal. Okay, he is coming. Yeah. Oh, wow. I, okay. I don't think he's technically signed his letter of intent or whatever. it ha- the, Until the transfer portal closes, he's technically not official, official. It's not official until he enrolls, but he's committed. He's He's coming. So.
1: Yeah, I'd have to go back and watch some film to really remember what he is like. But I have to say, I'm excited that there's another name that I recognize, at least, that gives <laughs> us another option, because I'm not super excited about Jake Retzloff. Yeah. So I don't have much in the way of being excited about Jerry Bohannon, but I have much in the way of not excitement for Jake, Jake Retzloff. So. But yeah, what, what are your thoughts with the potential of Jerry Bohannon?
0: what he gives you is he's he's a big body, he's like 6'3, 230 and he has some athleticism. He's had several several games where he ran for 100 yards. He can he can help you on short yardage situations as a quarterback. Quarterback dives and sneaks and stuff like that cuz he's a big athletic guy. Um so those are positives. Other positives are he has been a winning quarterback for a winning team. Um, and so those are great things. Negatives are that he was a game manager for those those teams, and was, the reason that that Baylor team was good was not because of Gary Bohannon. It was perhaps in spite of Gary Bohannon in a lot of ways. It was because Baylor had a great offensive line, a great running back, a really good wide receiver, and an excellent defense with several NFL players on that team. So um, I would categorize him in a similar status, in my opinion, of um, Keaton Slovis. He's a different quarterback. He's he's not the same kind of quarterback as Keaton Slovis, but he's the same level. Perhaps same left, tier. perhaps a lower tier due to his injury, and we don't know what we're gonna get from mm-hmm. him. He's also a one year rental. He only has one year less of eligibility. So I I like it. I like the pickup in that it's a depth piece of experience at quarterback when they don't have anyone that we're you know confident in. So it's fine. But what's disappointing is that that's it. I don't think they're getting another quarterback. And there's a lot of other quarterbacks in the portal, some of the, some of whom are pretty talented that I thought BYU would have a chance at. I'm seeing guys like the Ohio quarterback, who was pretty successful this year, go to Indiana, who was horrible. Uh, Indiana is a terrible football team this year. I think their coach got fired. And the Ohio and yeah, like Kyle
1: McCord from Kyle McCord from Ohio State went to Syracuse, which went I thought was Syracuse. Uh,
0: Malik Murphy, who's the big backup quarterback for Texas, who I like, he went to Duke. So, like these, like there's there are quarterbacks who are talented that I would be excited about. The UNLV quarterback, who's the the Mountain West Conference freshman of the year, uh, BYU was has been talking to him, but. I think he's having an official visit to USC, so maybe he's, maybe he ended up being too far out of the, out of the um, realm of possibilities for BYU. But there's a bunch of guys yeah. out there that I would have been excited for that BYU didn't get, and they went to schools that I don't consider to be at a higher prestige level than BYU football. Yeah. So from that perspective, Gary, if I if we're landed with Gary Bohannon, and is yep, that's all we got for this next year. And what i'm telling you is next year they're going to be five and seven or six and six again no and that's and that's like yeah so that's a little disappointing but it's not it's not terrible in and of itself it's just what it represents so. yeah and i
1: don't like this pattern of like you know like you're like the way you put it was getting the one-year rental of you know we bringing bringing keaton Slovis for a year And then he's gone and then bringing Gary Bohannon for a year, you know, that's not a recipe for success, right? So like you need to establish, you know, a system where you can bring in, I mean, a quarterback that can be there for at least multiple years, really learn the system and have other talented skill players develop around him. So that's, that seems to be what's worked for BYU in the past.
0: Yeah. I'm hoping they have Ryder Burton, who's, he'll be a redshirt freshman next year. He's going to have an opportunity to compete for the job. I don't think it's anyone's job. Like whoever plays the best in the offseason, no one's no one has a sure thing that it's it's Rhett's lost jobs or it's Bohannon's job or whoever. Mm-hmm. But he'll be a redshirt sophomore next year, and they signed like three or four quarterbacks in this recruiting cycle. Some of them are going on missions because that's how it works with BYU. But um, I, if they have one more buffer year and they just get one of those guys to to work out to where. You get a talented guy that you can build upon next year, then that's great. And and so it's, it's fine. It's just not super exciting in, in the quarterback position. But they did get a couple other good transfers that I mentioned earlier. And then lastly, another thing of note is the 2024 recruiting class for BYU has been really good. The 24-7 sports composite rank has them at the 51st best recruiting class in the country, which the past couple of years they've been in the 50s. But if you remember 2020 through like 20, 2015 or something like that span before um, Zach Wilson became a household name, BYU is in like the 70s and 80s in these recruiting rankings. Uh, so we're seeing a, an uptick in who BYU is able to get in the, in the in their recruiting classes, including five of Utah's top 15 prospects. Um, Utah also has five of the top 15 Utah prospects committed as of now. So they're, and and BYU is currently in the 24-7 composite rankings, ranked above Utah in those rankings. They also just won a battle for a four-star safety from from Bountiful is the second rated player in the state of Utah over, over Utah. BYU just won that recruiting battle for a really talented player. They have a four star the
1: last time that BYU won a recruiting battle against Utah.
0: That was notable. not, not, not for a guy who that, who they really want like for a, for mm. a game changing type of player, right? They got Rainer Swanson from California who Steve Sarkeesian, he's a tight end that Steve Sarkeesian really wanted. Texas wanted this tight end to be their replacement for JT Sanders, but he wants to be, he's going to BYU. So that's two four stars in this class. Uh, and then they, I really like, they have a bunch of three stars and I really like the, the type of bodies that they're getting for these guys. They have a kid out of Georgia, Therian Alexander III, 6'3", uh, 162 pounds, so he's light, but he can build on that later. Athletic, tall, rangy cornerback that they're going to get for him. And they got a bunch of defensive ends who are all like 6'5", um, like 220, who are have big frames that they can put they can put um, put weight on, but they're getting they're getting the kind of body sizes that that over time will need development, but that look like Big Twelve athletes in this. So I really like their recruiting class. They have a couple quarterbacks who I think are interesting as well. They once again, who knows how good they'll be in in time. These are all developmental projects. Um, but I just wanted to mention that I thought BYU so far. Has done a really good job in their recruiting glass, given given their uh, restrictions and some of the things that are that make it hard to recruit at BYU. There has been a significant uptick in talent since their move to the Big 12. And that's worthy of note for the for the future of BYU. We know this is gonna be a long process to get to the talent level that they need. Utah struggled for the first several years when they went to the Pac-12. So BYU went five and seven this year. If Gary Bohannon's all they got at quarterback next year, they probably aren't going to win more than like probably max seven games if everything else goes well. So they're not going to be great in the next few years, but we're seeing a pattern of building and recruiting that I I do like.
1: And yeah, that is good to see, because that's something that we, you know, anticipated that there would be more recruits that would be interested in BYU uh, with, with a, After getting the home in the Big Twelve Conference as opposed to being an independent team, Um, so that's good to see. Because otherwise, you know, be very concerned about being able to compete with the rest of the teams in the Big Twelve. They're not reaching that same level of recruiting, so yeah, it'll be fun.
0: Any other tidbits or nuggets you had for us for BYU football? No, that's my uh, that's my mid uh, mid mid early off season date for you with BOE football because it never ends. I'm in denial, Jordan. Well,
1: you're in denial that the what, what are you in denial yeah. for?
0: That college football season's almost over.
1: Oh, that's almost over. Talking. Yeah.
0: You got to find some ways season. to still
1: stay plugged in. Yeah. 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 That's funny. All right. Well, we don't have too much more college football to talk about, but there is some college basketball that's going on. So we wanted to talk a little bit about BYU basketball. BYU just played their first game in the Big 12, which is exciting, um, as far as basketball goes. Uh, So we'll talk about that and then uh, just some of the other teams that we've been watching so far this season. So primarily North Carolina for me and Texas for Brady. So we'll start off with uh, BYU basketball. So, as I mentioned, they had their home opener for the Big 12 against the Cincinnati Bearcats last night. And originally, I was very encouraged by this matchup for being their first exposure to the Big 12 because Cincinnati is a solid team, but they're not good by any stretch of the imagination. They're not like one of the, they're not going to be at the top of the Big 12 towards the end of the season. I think I feel pretty confident about saying. So, I thought that this would be a good opportunity to, Number one, be at home, get a a win, get your first win in the Big 12, kind of get settled into that type of atmosphere and pressure that comes with, you know, a bigger televised Big 12 game. But that was not what I saw. BYU struggled quite a bit, particularly in the second half, to manufacture any offense, and they ended up losing the game. Uh, So, yeah, Brady, did you have any thoughts
0: with this with this one well just to just to preface this BYU team uh BYU is ranked 12 they're ranked number 12 Jordan they're 12 they're now 12 and 2 even though they did lose this game like this is a team they were not very good team last year and in this team this year this Cincinnati game looked like last year's team where they had 18 turnovers were sloppy had some poor shot selection um Looked a little bit limited at times in their ability to score on their own. Like they had some, they had some guys get shut down. Dallin Hall had a horrible game. Um, Jackson Robinson didn't have a good game. Uh, Really no one had a good game. Waterman was bad. Everyone was horrible except for Trevor Nell on offense. Everyone played poorly. Um, Trevor Nell went crazy. He had nine threes and 27 points for a career high, but everyone else was really bad. But, just wanted to preface BYU has been really good. They got a nine point home win against San Diego State, who is mm-hmm, yeah. another ranked team who's that's a that's gonna be a quad one win at the end of the season. Um that's great for BYU. And so I'm excited considering our expectations were I mean, pretty low going into the Big 12. Like don't be last. I think was that is that fair that our expectations were don't be last in the Big 12, be better than UCF.
1: Yeah, I think kind of the uh, the bar that I set for them at the beginning of the season was to make the NIT, so. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And they're at a spot right now where they're, right now, it's it's not a situation of if they're going to make the tournament, it's how what seed they're going to get now. They still will have to do well enough in the Big 12 to make that a reality, they still need to win. They have 18 conference games. They probably need to win at least seven of them to be a legitimate contender at the end of the season for the for the tournament. But the fact that we're even talking about that is great. But back mm-hmm. to the Cincinnati yeah. game. Back to the Cincinnati game. Um, BYU. Now, I, this is something that I like about the BYU team that they – they have a lot of confidence to shoot the ball. And be, with that confidence in the green light that Pope gives pretty much everyone on the team this year, it has allowed them to be unselfish and to be willing to make the extra pass. They're a really good passing team. They're really unselfish. I, I love the offense. Ali Khalifa is a wizard with the ball at the high post, uh, passing the ball. But in this game in particular, BYU took 64 shots and 46 three-point attempts of those 64 shots. That's 72% of all field goal attempts were three-pointers, and they shot 28%. If you take away Nell's nine made threes, the rest of the team shot, like, what is that? 32 32 attempts and four makes. There were four, three? Yeah. Oh, four. It It was four. I think it was four, so four of 32 the rest of the team and and a lot of them were open they weren't some of them were bad were bad choices some of them were contested but some of them were not and they were just bad so BYU was horrible from the three-point line which they haven't been all season they got out rebounded by Cincinnati which they have that's been the thing no one's talked about is BYU has dominated teams on the glass in every game all year Cincinnati beat them this year or this game on the glass and BYU had 18 turnovers it's hard to win if that's the case
1: and they were still hanging around in the game, and they were in control for most of the game until the last 10 minutes, really. Yeah. The last 10 minutes is where they really lost it because they went on a six-minute scoring drought, where they just could not get the ball in the basket, and that kills you. You can't go you can't go six minutes without a field goal, and expect to win a game. So I think if you a few key things is what I took away from this game is number one, BYU needs a way to get Easier buckets. So, because you mentioned their reliance on the three-pointer, yeah, they just did not have a way to get the ball inside, whether that be through post-ups or through drives to the basket. There needs to be something that helps you get easy buckets or get to the free throw line. Um, and as far from what I saw last night, I think I can only count on two people to do something of that nature. The first is Fusini Trior, who was limited yesterday because he was just coming. This is his first game back from his injury. So he did not play hundred uh, percent by any stretch of the imagination, but he's one person that I can trust to give the ball to in the post and he'll get in a high percentage look. That's quality offense running that through him. The only other person that I can really say will get to the basket and get you easy buckets is maybe Dallin Hall. Um, but he's not super consistent at doing that either. Like, he's been pretty inefficient with that as well. Everyone else kind of struggles. I mean, I think um, Robinson w- does better with that as well. And then he also get w- gets more high percentage looks, Not maybe not necessarily getting it all the way to the basket, but he's relatively efficient with his mid-range game as well. But he was off with that as um, last night too. But you know what I'm saying? I feel like you just need to get more options that – because there's going to be games in the Big 12 where – there's going to be, you're going to have nerves, you're going to be in high-pressure environments, like when you go to play at Kansas, at Texas, that you're going to need ways to get easy buckets. You can't just rely on, you know, tough three-pointers or, like, really executing to get an open three or something like that. So that's a big concern for me as far as it goes for BYU. Yeah,
0: that's fair. And I I think once Footh's, Gets a little more healthy, that's gonna that that will be the number one source of that. Of hey, we're on a little bit of a drought. We're on a you know, it's been three minutes. We haven't scored. Throw it to Foose and let him do seven dribbles of his little back down thing that no one can stop because he's a boulder, and then he'll do his little jump hook that you can't block, and then you, you're back on track. So I think I think that is gonna be that's gonna help when he's fully back integrated. I think Khalifa. G- Um, but I I agree I th- I think the main problem in this game in particular was they were too quick to take the three so they had a lot of the three point shots they took they weren't bad shots necessarily but at some point because they weren't falling they were clearly not falling for anybody except for Nell Hope probably has to say, hey, I'm giving you guys the green light. I trust that you can shoot the ball, but let's get to the free throw line and take take it to them and let's get some shots at the free throw. Although they were 50% from the free throw line too. They didn't shoot well there either. They just played really poorly. But I think it's more of a shot selection and, and willingness to to do that intentionally. Uh, but But not every game, specifically for this game, because they weren't playing well. They're, I think they lead the country in three-point attempts. Um, and I think that's a good idea for this team. I think all BYU teams should probably do that because they're a bunch of white guys who aren't going to beat you other ways, but can pass the ball and they can shoot the ball. and I, I like that. But that is a weak, That is a weakness um, I am concerned about. And I, I, I'm hoping that this game is more of an anomaly than what we're going to see for the rest of the Big 12 play.
1: Yeah, because, yeah, it doesn't get any easier from here. They have to bounce back and play Baylor on Tuesday. So that'll be – Baylor's – yeah, they're ranked in the top 15 as well. So, yeah, they're going to the state.
0: Really? Yeah, they they went to overtime with Oklahoma State, who's not a great team, uh, on Saturday as well. So Baylor is really good but I don't know if they're quite as good as they have been the past couple of years. Yeah. But they definitely, it's definitely going to be a place that's going to be hard to win on the road for sure.
1: Yep. So they'll be kind of fun. They'll be playing against Caleb Lohner, the former BYU Cougar. Not that he's a major part of the Baylor Bears offense or anything like that, but that'll be a storyline for sure. Yep. But if you had to pick like what for you, what is, a key for success
0: for BYU in the Big Twelve. The day, or like this year, or long term. Yes, this year. Um This year, I think they need to win. They need to win the rebounding battles first. First and foremost, they have dominated people in the class all year, and it's been clear. Like in in rebounding, some about some of rebounding is athleticism. A lot of rebounding is just doing it uh being willing to actively try to win the win the rebound battle. So I think they need to do that first off and and that's that would be my main thing if they're doing that, that means they're probably playing pretty good defense and I feel okay about their offense they they're not perfect. I think that both the games they've lost they lost to Utah and Cincinnati and both those teams have, multiple big guys who are good and talented and are good rim protectors. So that might be a weakness for BYU is that they're not super athletic at the rim. And so if, if the other team has good rim defenders and Fusini, even though we really like him, he's six, six, it's hard for him to dominate a game against someone who's seven feet tall in the paint. Mm -hmm. So that might just be a weakness of the team is if they play, teams that have really good, tall, big guys, they're just going to struggle in in some ways. Um, Summary of what BYU needs to do to um, be successful from the rest of the Big 12. They need to win the rebounding battle. They need to continue to be good in transition. uh, And they need to not turn the ball over. Those are the three things. Two of those three things are mostly effort things. They need to be willing to run, and they need to be willing to fight for the for extra possessions on the glass and to finish defensive possessions. Most of that's effort. And they have a deep lineup, which probably needs, that's another thing we can talk about. They probably need to shrink the rotation. They're played 12 guys, I think, against Cincinnati. And they've done that all year, which is fine against, um, you know, when you're playing uh, Bellarmine. But probably going to have to shrink the rotation going forward in the Big 12 to get guys more rhythm on offense. Um, But those are the things, those are the three things I want to see from BYU. Uh, Continue to cut down on turnovers, rebound, get points in transition.
1: Yeah, and yeah, along those lines, I think for me a big thing is going to be better execution. Because I think something that really shocked the Cougars in their game last night was the physicality and tough defense that they had to play against, you know, they're a team used to scoring. They've been averaging 90 points a game so far this season. So being held to 60, I think kind of shocked them a little bit. And I think they were shocked by the physicality that Cincinnati met them with on the defensive end. And, you know, they're not the most physical and athletic team. I mean, they're, they've been good at getting rebounds and everything, but I think something important that they need to recognize to be successful yeah, they need to execute the well well, and not turn the ball over and then get quality looks at the basket. So, yeah. So that comes down to a few things that comes down to um, the kind of coaching decisions. Like what, what are you going to do on offense to make sure that you're putting yourself in good scoring positions and then from the player's side as well, just really taking care of the ball Um, and yeah, I agree with you on cutting down on the rotation. There were some questionable um, call or judgment calls, I think, when it came to substitutions, like in particular with that six-minute drought that BYU went on in the second half of that game. Trevenel spent that entirety of that drought on the bench, which yeah. like, it just doesn't take a lot of thoughts to realize, you know, this is the only guy that's scoring for us right now. And we haven't had a field goal in the last, four or five minutes maybe we should put him in the game uh-huh. and i don't know if that would have necessarily changed things because at the end of the day Trevanel is still not the type of player that's going to take over the game you know he was bound to cool off that was going to yeah. happen but still just having him as a threat there also changes the way you can run your offense because there are going to be more players than are going to be trying to clo- close out to him on the three that possibly opens up looks for your teammates so that was questionable for me. I didn't understand that at all. But
0: and yeah, for, but they definitely
1: do need to pin down their rotation
0: for sure. For BYU fans who aren't used to watching the Big 12, I know Jordan and I. We've we've been watching. I definitely have because I'm a Texas fan. But I I think you watch a lot of Big 12 before this season as well. Uh, Big 12 mm-hmm. refs let them play. Like it's going to be yeah, it's going to be rough. They don't call a lot. Uh, it, they don't call a lot of fouls. So are going to have to be ready for a lot of hand checking and in contact in the in the paint especially
1: yeah for sure
0: all right do you want to spend some time talking about texas now no but i will briefly uh texas isn't going to make the big 12 they're, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament this year so um, you don't think so they're not very good they're just not a very good team um they they had a couple issues that I stated at the beginning of the season I was concerned about, and they I haven't been disproven, is that their starting two guards are Tyrese Hunter and Max Acemiss, and they get completely taken advantage of by other guards who are good. They can't defend very well. Uh, they're too small, particularly Ace-mas. um Any time that they've played any other guards who are very good, especially bigger guards, if they play a team with bigger guards like Marquette, in um, UConn, they get run out the door because they can't play. They just can't guard those guys. They also just don't have guys who can s- score. Uh, like they're 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 bad. They're so they're a bad defensive team. And Ace Smith is the only one who can really consistently create his own shot. And he's five eleven, and he can't really score at the rim. The only their only saving grace is Dylan DeSue is now back and he's healthy. And he's getting back into action. He hasn't started a game yet. They still have him coming off the bench. If he can get in the next few weeks into the kind of form he was at the end of last year, where he was, in my opinion, a top five player in all of college basketball, then that might change the game a little bit. But he's not there yet. And they have Dylan Mitchell out there running the three. And he's better than he was last year. He's, he's averaging almost 10 rebounds a game. He's very athletic. He gets a couple of highlight dunks every game, but he has no game. He can't score. As athletic as he is, he can't dribble. He doesn't have any moves. He doesn't have any post game. He can't do anything on offense. He's not a threat at all. And they have Brock Brock Cunningham, who I like, but he's limited athletically. He tries really hard. He can't score on his own either. He's only a catch and shoot guy and he's a decent catch and shoot guy, but that's it. They just don't have any... You can't be let limited on offense and be terrible at defense. So <laughs> I just don't see. I don't see the answer. The only answer is Dylan Dessou save us, and if and I don't know if that's happening because we're halfway through the season and he's not even starting yet. So I, yeah, I don't. I have low expectations at this point. They're probably an NIT team.
1: Wow, that's crazy. I mean, yeah, I haven't really watched them too much, but they've been pretty consistently in the top 20. But, I mean, they haven't really had the tough schedule yet, and some of the tough games that they've had so far have been losses. So,
0: Yeah, I was, I was going to say, they've had, if you look at their strength of schedule, it's probably pretty good because they've played some tough teams, but the tough teams they've played, they've gotten their butts kicked. So yeah. They got completely blown out by Marquette and UConn and almost lost to Louisville, which is a travesty. That's another story we can talk about on another podcast more because it's uh, quite an interesting um, news headlines going on here in Kentucky where Louisville is just completely falling apart. And yeah. The, door. but it fell, the doors fell off last year and now like the car is like corroding and falling into a lake. Um, But yeah, we can talk about that another time. But yeah, not, not, not much to talk about with Texas because there's not much reason to talk about them. They're not very good let's talk about a team Jordan that is pretty good I watched them play yesterday they beat Clemson on the road your North Carolina tar heels what do you what do you think so far
1: yeah I've been pretty encouraged by them this year um honestly I think losing Caleb love is maybe one of the best things that could have happened to them and as strange as it sounds because you know Caleb Love is still performing at a top level in Arizona but the offense was just so stagnant. With Caleb Love there and there's a lot of just dribbling around ISO um, and then putting up you know less than ideal shots. this team moves the ball so well Um, and RJ Davis uh, is so fun to watch because not only does he he's you know very efficient shoots the ball at a high clip and is shooting like 95% from the free throw line on top of that um, but then yeah he just spreads the ball around very well they got some really good uh, transfers that have really helped them this year in Cormac Ryan and Harrison Ingram. Um, and they've both been great additions because they provide both size, athleticism and shooting. Uh, so that's really fun. And then, you know, they still got Armando Baycott manning in the middle, still being uh, a dominant presence in that post. So overall, I'm pretty encouraged by them. Um, they've had a few close losses to uh good teams like kentucky and um yukon where they were in the game they had a chance to win it but then they just didn't quite have enough at the end but um but yeah pretty excited for them i think i definitely have better hopes for them this year um but it'll be interesting to see
0: yeah i saw big hot like shut down the game like the last like uh probably 4 minutes of that game with Clemson. Baycott had like 6 points and 6 rebounds. Something like a block or something like he just like shut that right yeah. down. Who is which guy? So so I know RJ Davis and I know Baycott and then North Carolina has that number 55. Um what's his name? Did you mention him? Is that
1: Harrison Ingram? Might be. I believe that's Harrison Ingram.
0: Yeah. Uh, he's a guard. Uh, I'm curious because he looks bigger than he is and I'm pretty sure it's just because he wears 55 and it makes him look bigger. He, looks, he looked awkward. Makes him look yes, like he was playing and I was like, oh, that doesn't look like a North Carolina basketball player. He looks like wide. But I think, I think it was just the number made him look bigger. He played pretty well. I, um, yeah. But, but just like eyeball test, I didn't look at him and be like, oh, he's really good. There, but he was he was pretty good and then they have the white guy who's the white guy
1: Cormac Ryan, Cormac Ryan. the transfer yeah. from Notre Dame yeah
0: he's a pretty good shooter as well so
1: and yeah on top of being a good shooter he's also shown the ability to drive the ball pretty well which I was surprised by I thought he was going to be more of a spot you know three-point shooter three and D kind of guy but yeah that starting five is really pretty good and they've got some other big upside with Elliot Cadeau their freshman um he's got a lot of potential uh, the thing that i think that we're struggling with him is that he's not a very good shooter um so a lot of times teams don't have to respect his shot which can sometimes affect the offensive rhythm so i think if he can improve to be you know not a phenomenal three-point shooter but a, at least a passable three-point shooter by the end of the season uh that will be that will you know really improve their ability to score on offense so Hopefully that, that can happen as well. And he's really talented, too. Like, he's got very good ball handling skills and playmaking skills. If he could just add the the shooting as well,
0: it would be awesome. Would, would you put, at this point in the season, just entering conference play, would you put North Carolina as the favorite in the ACC or does that still belong to Duke?
1: I mean, I would put them as the favorite, but I am biased. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, the ACC is going to be tough this year, I think, because Miami also is still pretty good. They're returning a few experienced guards from from last year, in particular, Wuga Poplar and Nigel Pack. Um, And they still have have. um, uh, Norchad Omir, their big guy, um, in the middle, who will also be good. And then, yeah, Clemson is pretty good as well. They have P.J. Hall, who is the 2nd leading scorer in the ACC right now at, like, 20 points a game. Um, Clemson's pretty tough and NC state's still pretty good. So I'm interested to see how the ACC plays out. because I think it will be one of the tougher conferences this year, which is kind of different than last year. It was kind of weaker. Um, like, I don't know, at least the top of the conference is really good. I don't know top to bottom, how it ranks against the big 12, the big 12 is still probably better, but, um, but yeah, I think I'd still give North Carolina the edge against everyone else in the ACC.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. I would I would say that as well at this point. It's close though. I, I they're not definitely not like clearly clearly the favorite, but I would have North Carolina if I had to pick someone today. I just don't know what their depth is. I haven't watched them enough. I've only watched some of the Kentucky game and then the Clemson game for North Carolina. So I don't know what they who who they have beyond those those frontline guys I mean, that we discussed. Depth is
1: still somewhat of a concern, but I mean compared to like the team last year where it was Literally, or even the team the year before, where it was literally like that's the starting five and that's all you got. Because, I mean, I don't know if you remember, but in their um, championship game run a few years ago when Brady Manick fouled out that early in the, like halfway through the second half, that was like devastating for North Carolina because they didn't have anyone else. But they are better. They have Jordan Withers, which is transferred from Louisville, who's a pretty athletic forward that can put the ball on the floor and also is a decent jump shooter as well. Uh, and then they have Seth Trimple, who's just a really fast athletic guard who, um, uh, like, he's really good on defense and stuff like that. So as far as having other people coming off the bench to create offense, they don't have that. But, I mean, as long as they can keep either R.J. Davis, Cormac Ryan, Harrison Ingram, or Armando Bacot on the field with a, a, a mixture of any of those other guys, um, I think it's, like, it's definitely – like it's definitely better than they had in the past few years. So. so still a concern for depth, but not as much. So all
0: right. So Jordan yeah, feeling. I think good. that's about all
1: I got for North Carolina. Yeah.
0: Feeling good about his tar heels halfway into the season. We're yep. feeling pretty good about our, our BYU Cougars. Actually, great. I'm not gonna say pretty good, based on my expectations at the beginning of the year and the fact that we have that uh I forget his name, but the freshman who transferred twice already from Kansas and Gonzaga, who he's not going to play this year at all, probably. He played got into one game, but he's probably going to come back next year, and he's really talented. And you're going to bring in the freshman who's coming back from his mission next year, whose name also escapes me, but he was the top 30 guy in the country. He's coming in next year too, and then you're going to bring back several of these guys on the current team. Khalifa has another year. Boos has another year. Uh, Robinson, I think, does as well, uh, as well as a few other guys. So the, the future for BYU is looking a lot brighter today than it was a couple of months ago, and I think that's at least at least in large part to Coach Pope being excellent, and I'm wondering how much longer he's going to be able to stay at BYU without someone coaching him, because he's an excellent basketball coach. Glad to have him at the position at BYU. I agree, yeah. So two positives and a negative with Texas being awful in in basketball and losing in football. So that wasn't great. But the rest of it was pretty good and excited for the national championship game in football tomorrow as we wrap up the college football season and then the NFL playoffs starting up. And then we're just getting into the meat of college basketball. and It's an exciting time here in 2024.
1: Man, I love how you're like, Texas is like 10 and 2 right now. And you're like, they're trash. You're already accepted that. Yeah, they're um, trash. Unless
0: unless Dylan Dessou becomes top ten player in the country, they're trash. Don't worry. Don't worry about it. They're currently ranked. They won't be ranked soon. What I'm telling you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: If you had to choose right now, how long do you think BYU will be ranked at the end of the season?
0: With the end of the season.
1: Or even like, at what point do you think they're not going to be ranked anymore? I guess is a better question.
0: Well, let me look at their schedule. Let me pull, let me pull it up. Now that you, now that you asked here, uh, basketball. you basketball, men's basketball. Let's see what do we got. We got Baylor, which that's going to be rough. So that's potentially a two-game losing streak. But then you go to UCF and you get Iowa State at home, to Texas Tech. So those are all winnable games. And then you get Houston at home, which is a winnable game at home. All all games in the Marriott Center this year are winnable. Texas at home, that's a win. To West Virginia, that's a win. West Virginia is pretty bad, so I think they could be. I think they could. I'm I'm a believer. I'm pretty optimistic with this team. I really liked what I've seen them, how they played this year. I thought that how they played Cincinnati. The game against Cincinnati was far and away the worst game they've had all season. Um, so I think they're going to stay ranked for a good chunk of the year. I think they'll be ranked a majority of the year. And maybe by the season's end, maybe not. We'll see. But
1: Yeah, it's probably... You've watched more games than me because a lot of those games like weren't televised for me. So I have a lot more of a pessimistic outlook right now based on what I saw last night. So hopefully my mind will change after, over the next few games. We'll see.
0: Well, if you, you think about this, if you think about the Cincinnati game, we did, we stated how they went 4-for-32 outside of Trevenel. If they just go, I don't know, 10-for-32, which still isn't very good, then they probably win that game. Yeah. Right. So as badly as they played, as many turnovers as they had, they lost the rebounding battle. If they just make a few more of those open three-point shots that they had, they probably win that game. So I feel good about it going in season. I've, I've already bought BYU stock when it was really low. It was very very that's low true. stock. And now I bought it and now I'm like on the train. I'm on the train hoping that it's Apple stock. and I got in early and this is a team that's somehow going to be really good and maybe they will be a four seed or something. That'd be awesome. Probably not, but maybe. But it's Maybe you'll doing. be looking back Urban. and be
1: like, oh, I should have sold that stock when the Big 12 uh,
0: schedule started. <laughs> yeah, usually usually selling BYU stock when when push comes to shove is a good plan. But I haven't done that. So I'm going to regret that later. All right.
1: Well, we'll make sure to keep you guys updated on um, BYU's or Brady's BYU stock decisions as the season <laughs> goes on. See at what point he sells, what point he breaks. But, you know, hopefully... I mean, I don't want to be a pessimist here. I feel like I'm always usually optimistic about BYU, which tends to hurt me in the end. But um, I don't
0: know. Yeah, this is weird. This is I'm totally the pessimist. I'm the pessimist. I, I this know. Time. this
1: is, We're totally switching our roles right now because I feel like I'm usually trying to be more optimistic. Like, oh, yeah, maybe BYU will make it to the NCAA tournament. And then you're like, nah, 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 nah. But I'm kind of more on the pessimistic side right now. But we'll see. It's a new year, Jordan. Convince me otherwise. So, well, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the Provo Pick and Roll podcast. Um, We're always so grateful for you guys listening to us, our various rantings and musings. Um, And until next time, woosh cabin.
0: And go Cougs.